Today's reading is Hebrews 11, 1 and 2, and 8 through 16. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place where he would later have his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundation, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children, because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I want to bring some words of refreshment, encouragement, hopefully words of hope to you this morning. Uh, perhaps life with all of its pressures and responsibilities has left you feeling somewhat numb. I think it's very possible that people come in here and faithfully attend, but at the same time can feel very numb as they're sitting there. At times where I've had other staff members preach, I found myself at times wrestling with just bringing life in and going like, ah, I just am not in the mood to listen to people preach or talk or sing or anything like that. And that's, that's the way life is. Now, perhaps you're at a point where if you could be absolutely honest, you haven't cared much about Jesus or anything Christian for, for some time. And so as I stand up here and I, and I talk about taking a beautiful risk, which is our theme for 2017, those words can sound very hollow. It's not that you're opposed to it, but it's just that you haven't cared about much of anything in life for some time, whether it's your, your job, whether it's your family, your marriage, your friendships, whether it's your future aspirations. And if I've described you, I want to offer some words of encouragement, uh, hopefully some hope to you this morning. If you're new to Grace, what, we're, what I'm doing this morning is I'm taking an interlude, interlude a rest stop in our, uh, in our journey of a beautiful risk. What is a beautiful risk? It's the risk to see where love takes us. 
And it's not a program, it's not a church campaign. It came out of my own personal journey at the end of 2016 where I was praying and I was just kind of wrestling with God and, and the words that God seemed to impress upon me in prayer was is the only way forward is through self-giving love and then secondly, it was to see where love takes you. And those were very personal words to me. And so I'm presenting them to you today and, and I presented them at the beginning of 2017 as a beautiful risk and it involves... Three risks, as I see it. The first is to see, is to, the risk to let God love us. And we spent January and February focused on that. And then it's, the second is the risk to, to love God. And the third is to risk loving our neighbor. And, and we spent the last month looking at the interplay between those last two risks. And so what I want to do today is, is basically just kind of take a, an interlude, kind of a, a stop at the rest stop on our journey and, and to kind of get some fresh framework. And so I want to offer some framing that I've personally found helpful for living as a Christian. And this framework originates in in Hebrews 11, in the text that Ramona read to us today. In Hebrews 11, Abraham was offered to us as as a model of faith. There's more text given to him in Hebrews 11 than to anybody, any of the other names that are mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11. In Hebrews 11, it tells us that Abraham set out on a journey. He went on a journey, and the second thing it tells us is that Abraham was a person of faith. And so those are the two things that I want to offer you this morning, that life as a Christian is a journey, and it's a journey of faith. And I want to develop that, unpack that for you this morning. So to get a little bit more background, I'd like to invite you to turn to Genesis 12. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in which you're sitting. Genesis chapter 12 and that's page 8 in those blue Bibles, or turn on an app to, uh, to turn there. But I, I invite you to turn there and to look at Genesis 12 with me. Genesis 12 is a watershed of the book of Genesis. It's a, it's a high point in the book of Genesis. It's a turning point in the book of Genesis. Because Abraham is a new type of human who is presented to us. He's a person whose life is a response to the call of God. Unlike Adam, the first human, Abraham responds to the divine call. Abraham responds to the word of God. For Adam, God's command is a constraint from which he seeks to be set free. But for Abraham, the command is life itself. He listens, he acts, he sets out on a journey in response to the divine call. And you see that in chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In his first words to Abraham, God calls him to leave his homeland. To say goodbye to the things that mean most to people like us. The place where we've grown up, our family home, uh, the people and places that are significant to us. All those things Abraham is called to leave. And he's called to make the journey from the familiar to the unfamiliar. And it's based on a promise that God gives. And that promise is in verses 2 and 3. Look at it with me. I will make of you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So the promise that Abraham has given is that even if he leaves his own family, 
God will give him a family of his own. And that is amplified in chapter 17 where God changes his name from Abram, which means a mighty father, to Abraham, which is a father of many nations. So he's going to be a father, but he's going to be a father of many nations. And certainly we see that as, as, as time goes on, Abram becomes Abraham, and in a very real sense, he is our ancestor. Because if you think about it, Abraham is the father of three great Abrahamic traditions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And so to be a Christian is to be a descendant of the promise to Abraham. It's to be able to say that Abraham is our father, and Paul certainly says that as well in Galatians. So it's to recognize that the promise in Genesis 12 has been fulfilled. It is continuing to be fulfilled with the many people and the many nations that have come from Abraham. But his life can also be viewed as a model, as an archetype for living as a Christian. And certainly that's picked up in Hebrews 11. If you'll turn to Hebrews 11 in the New Testament, it's page 1007, if you are not as familiar with the Bible. Page 1007, Hebrews 11. And this is where the journey image comes into play. Like Abraham, life as a Christian is a journey. And this idea is picked up at the very end of Hebrews 11. Look at verses 39 and 40 with me. After giving all these names and all these people that are listed in Hebrews 11, the writer says, verse 39, and all these though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God has provided, had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. So what is he saying or she saying? Some believe it may be a woman who wrote Hebrews. The writer of Hebrews is saying that these Christians that he's talking to, his audience, the Hebrew Christians, that there's some continuity between them and all the people who've come before them. And he's basically saying that apart from them and us as Christians, that the story of these people who've come before them, their story is not complete apart from us. There's a thread of continuity between what they started and what we're intended to complete. And thus, this this archetype of, of... this, this image of Abraham taking a journey can be carried on to us today, that we too are called, like Abraham, to step into a journey, that, the, that life as a Christian can be viewed as a journey. Now, I want to pause to say this is not the image of the Christian life that, that I had growing up as a Christian. And it was not what I received from being in churches, in the churches that I attended. And the reason for this is because the churches that I attended really focused upon Bible teaching and doctrine, and that's good. So don't, if you just woke up and went, oh, is he dissing that? No, that is a good thing. But as a consequence of that, I associated the Christian life with believing. See, if you, if where Bible teaching and doctrine are emphasized, and that's a good thing, it was my association that then created this, this equation that to be a Christian is to believe, that the Christian life is about believing. Believing in the Bible, believing 
in Jesus, believing in the truth of Christian teachings. Believing was vital because faith was emphasized as being vital to being a Christian. It was necessary for salvation now and for life after death. But I now see life as a Christian differently. I see it more as a journey. And I'm using journey as a metaphor for what the Christian life is about. It's an It involves faith, so hear me, please. It involves faith, but it's more than faith, okay? It involves faith, but it's more than faith. You with me? Yes? All right, thank you. Let me unpack that. To be on a journey is to be in motion, right? If you're on a journey, you have to be in motion. It means there's change. To be a Christian is to be moving and to be changing, To be a Christian means you're not being static, you're not living your life based upon some moment in the past where you assented to some beliefs. It means I will be growing in my understanding of God and of God's word, of myself, and of the way that life is designed to work. It means I won't always get everything right all the time, but that's not the main point. That's not what God is most interested in. It's a journey of discovery. You with me? It's a journey of discovery. So when do you stop discovering? If your answer is death, you're wrong. Wrong. Because when you go into the new creation, not clouds called heaven, but you go into the new creation, you continue to grow, you continue to discover because you don't stop being human. You don't become perfect, you don't become a god, you continue to become human, more fully human, which means then that the things that keep us from discovering, maybe some of the sins and the laziness that, that, that hinders us, those things are thrown off, and instead now we become the full, we, we step into the fullness of becoming those co-creators that God has intended us to be. That's what I read in Scripture. That's why life after death is not boring because I'm going to receive this body back, 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to have a resurrected body and I'm going to live in a new creation that is as tangible as this wood up here and as your body is and I'm going to step into being fully human as I never have before. And so I will continue to discover and it will be amazing. It will be amazing to think of what the possibilities are Maybe the things that you wish you would have done a while ago, those are the things that maybe you'll have an opportunity to do. And so that discovery begins now. To be on a journey is to be in motion, but it's also to be on a path. It's it's to be on a way. Listen to these words um, in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus finishes the Sermon on the Mount. Stay in Hebrews, but just listen to Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. This is Jesus saying, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus is using the language of the way, and he talks about following him as a way. So to, to this journey of being a Christian is to be on a path, it's to be on a way. It's no accident that Jesus says of himself, I am the way. 
the truth, the life. So there is this, there is this way, there is this path. To be on a journey is to not be wandering aimlessly through life. Although at times it can feel that way to us, right? We can have seasons where it does feel aimless. But there's a path, there's a way. And what Hebrews 11 is saying is that others have gone on that way ahead of us. So we're not trying to figure it out just by ourselves. There's the community of God's people in history and even in the present who are there to help us, to journey with us, to show us the way. So to be on a journey also involves leaving. Abraham left home. As a Christian, it means leaving an old way of being. Like Israel's Exodus story involves leaving bondage and slavery and journeying into freedom. Or picking up on Jesus' sight and light metaphor, it involves a journey from blindness into sight. It involves a journey from darkness into light. It involves a journey from death into life. It involves a journey from being less human into being more fully human in Christ. So I'm suggesting that the Christian life is more like following a path than it is about believing things with our minds. Still with me? Feeling like this is getting really close to heresy? Good. So here's the second observation, which hopefully will bring a breath of relief to some of you. The second observation about Abraham's journey and ours is that it involves faith. So in Hebrews 11, in verses 8 to 16 that we heard read to us, you hear that, re- that refrain repeated again and again, by faith, by faith, that Abraham in faith or by faith. So faith is emphasized throughout Hebrews 11. So what is faith? How might you answer that? What is faith? Your three-year-old answers it or asks you that question in bed at night before you go to sleep because they're always trying to not go to bed, so they ask you great theological questions. <laughs> what is faith? The most common definition in Western Christianity is belief. Believing there is a God, that Jesus is both God and man, that Jesus died for sins, etc., etc., etc. In other words, faith is intellectual belief. And certainly that is found in Scripture. 1 Thessalonians 4.14 says, it's behind me, For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. There is faith right there. An example of faith is intellectual belief. So it is, that is a component of, of faith. But if that's all that faith is, there's a problem. Because James says in James 2.19, he says, you believe that God is one, even the demons believe and they shudder. So intellectual belief is not enough. This is not James talking, this is me talking. It's possible to believe all the right things and still be a jerk. I've met a lot of jerks in my experience of being a Christian who have believed all the right things and have just been first-class bad people. So it's possible to believe the right things. That doesn't, that doesn't end everything there. Western Christianity has asserted that faith involves not only intellectual belief, but also trust. 
So it's intellectual beliefs, but it's also trust. There's some someone and something to be believed and acknowledged, but also something and someone to trust. There's this emotional attachment that takes place in trust, a personal attachment. Abraham not, not only believed God's promise, but he also trusted the God who made the promise. And how did he demonstrate that? How did he demonstrate that? He acted on the promise. So there's not only intellectual belief, but there's also trust that's involved in faith as the Bible explains it. But, when you look at Scripture from beginning to end, when God calls Abraham, when God calls Israel as his people, when Jesus calls his disciples, when Paul describes what it means to be in Christ, the language that is used is more than belief. It is more than trust. For example, in Deuteronomy 7, in a real kind of pivotal chapter that that sets up Israel for going into the land that God promised them, God challenges Israel and he says that the challenge for you going into this land is whether or not you will remain loyal to me or whether you will turn to the idols, to the false gods of the surrounding nations and worship and serve them. So God presents to Israel this issue of loyalty and faithfulness that is the key to understand the entire Old Testament. The New Testament picks this up with the language of pistis and pistio. Those are the two Greek words for belief. Pistio is the verb, I believe. And it can be, those words can be used to convey trust and fidelity or faithfulness. Paul uses this language to describe God's faithfulness in Romans 3, verse 3. Behind me, what if some were unfaithful? Does their faithlessness nullify the faithfulness of God? So there's an example of God's faithfulness. Two examples of Christian faithfulness. 2 Thessalonians 1.4 Therefore we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith. And it's better to be translated faithfulness in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. It's not about faith in, as in beliefs, but it's rather the fact that they have been faithful in the persecutions and in the afflictions they're enduring. And then Titus 2.10. He's talking to slaves, and he says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. He's talking to slaves about being faithful to their masters. So we have in the New Testament examples of God being faithful and of Christians being faithful as well. So it's possible to say that the language of faith is more than belief, more than intellectual assent, more than emotional trust. It also implies dedication and devotion as in marriage. It's belief plus allegiance. Like Michael Gorman's definition, it's believing allegiance. What the New Testament gets at often, that we often miss, is this aspect of believing allegiance. According to Paul, those in Christ, a believer, are those who are convinced, submit and trust, declare and demonstrate loyalty. Read Paul. And you'll see that. So you might be saying, you might be asking, 
So where's the hope? Where's the encouragement? You said you wanted to bring refreshment and encouragement. I'm not sure I got it yet. <laughs> okay. Well, here's, let me try it, okay? To be offered, to be a Christian is to be offered more than just simply belief. I think that that's why so many Christians are dropping out of church and why they're so bored and why they end up just going like, you know what, I tried it and it didn't work for me. Because what they thought they were being offered was simply belief. So why do you come to church? To get to believe again? To get more beliefs added to your little container of beliefs? If that's all this is, yeah, I could see where you'd say, well, I could stay home and believe. What's the deal? Where are we going? Where are we headed? Is there any direction to this? And I'm saying, yes, there is. To be a Christian is to be offered more than just belief. To be a Christian is to be invited into a journey of faith in which we learn to trust our relationship to God and learn to be faithful to that relationship. Now, that provides direction. That, to me, is clear and it's simple. And to me, that's important because it's very easy to lose direction in life, isn't it? To just get so busy with things, to get so numb, to get so distracted, that you just, like, ah, oh, why, why, why am I even a Christian? What is, that, what is that about anymore? And yet, when you look at that, to be a Christian is to be invited into a journey of faith in which we learn to trust our relationship to God and learn to be faithful to that relationship. That's why... That's why I show up in the community of God's people. If I were not a pastor, I would still show up in the community of God's people because that is the place where I can learn to do this with other people who are doing it. You learn from other people. You don't learn from just being by yourself. All right? That's why we come together, and that's why I come together with enthusiasm with the possibility that this, I might get better at this that I might grow in this, that I might make progress in this. But it's something to grow in over time as well, and so it takes, off, takes the pressure off of unrealistic expectations to have it all figured out in advance or to, or to do it perfectly. That's not what God is interested in. You don't have to know everything in advance, nor do you have to do it perfectly. And so that takes the pressure off. It's a journey. It's about stepping into this over time. It offers fresh possibilities and new discoveries because it's not the same old, same old. And because it's a journey, it prioritizes patience and persistence. It's a long obedience, a long faithfulness in the same direction. I've been at this for over 40 years, and I feel like I'm just getting in to the sweet spot of getting this, what this is about. And it's really wonderful. I can tell you that it's worth the long faithfulness in the same direction. It's not about going off to the latest thing and always trying to find the latest thing that's going to create the most energy or the biggest new program or whatever. It's this persistence in this that pays off long term. Having just celebrated my 60th, 60th birthday, 60th anniversary of living, thank you for everyone said, who sent notes to me. I can tell you, looking, they said, well, you know, do you have any thoughts for us? It's like, I can tell you that that's one of those thoughts that I have come away with, is that there's something to be gained by faithfulness over the long haul. There's something rich that you get out of life through that. And I'm really thankful for this community for the opportunity to do that here as well. So thank you.
But it also means my focus is not on sin management, but on trusting and believing allegiance over the long haul. So God's call to Abraham left him with a decision to make that I think that we still have to make today. And I think it's captured perhaps by the contemporary poet Mary Oliver who asks, what are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? I love that question. You have this one wild and precious life. What are you going to do with it? And my answer is that I want to press on and into the journey of trusting Jesus in all aspects of my, of my life and to seek to live with believing allegiance in my relationship with him, trusting that that will honor him, others will see it, and they'll be drawn to Jesus as a result. If that's something that you desire, take a moment and tell God that.